Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. This weekend, we're continuing our series on grace, and this is week number three. Uh, And I I told you at the very beginning of the series, this is really not an eight-week series. It's an eight-part sermon. And so if you missed week one or week two, go back and listen. And if you're going to be on vacation while you're out, make sure you stay uh, with us, listening to everything. And here's why. Because if you miss one part of the sermon on the grace of God, this eight-part sermon, then you're more apt to take out of context something else we talk about, all right? So keep up. If you missed out on week one or week two, make sure you catch up, all right? This weekend, we're talking about the immutability of God, which means the unchangeableness. Immutability means unchangeableness. Immutable means unchangeable. Immutability, unchangeableness. And in order to understand grace, in a greater way. You have to understand the unchangeableness of God. And in this message, we're going to read a lot of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, a lot of Hebrews chapter 7, a lot of Hebrews chapter 9, a lot of Hebrews chapter 10, a whole bunch of Hebrews, because it's these very passages that will help us all greater understand the unchangeableness of God and the unchangeableness of His grace. Now, let's read in Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13. Let's just jump right into it, all right? Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, God swore by himself. Make sure you catch that. That's going to come in handy at the end of the message. God swore by his own name, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Okay, now we can already tell that this is referring to Genesis 12, which we talked about in the last message from Romans 4. We're talking about what God did with Abraham in Genesis 12, all right? Verse 15, and so after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. In other words, once there's an oath, conversation is done. The book is closed. There's an oath, seals the deal, all right? There's an oath that ends all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, more more abundantly, listen to that again, he wanted to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his counsel. He confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable, unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for our souls, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, speaking of the Holy of Holies, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, now I know that that's that's more New King James than many of you have read all year right there. I read it out of that version for a reason, because it uses the word immutable, the immutable things, these things that cannot change. 
And I know for some, what we just read in Hebrews 6 sounds really complicated. It's not complicated. It is complex. It's very theologically loaded. But it's not complicated. And I really believe by the end of the message, you're going to understand very simply just how beautiful the unchangeableness of God really is. And in this message, we're going to identify, we're going to first evaluate three statements, and we're going to identify which ones are true and which is false. So here's the first statement we're going to evaluate. Point number one, I can't change. I can't change. Have you ever gotten into an argument, maybe with a spouse or a close friend, and they're, they're just hammering the way you do something? You know, you always do it this way. And it's wrong. You do it more wrong than anybody I, I know. It's just wrong. It's bad the way, you, and they're hammering the way you do something. And you get defensive, and you hear yourself say, well, I'm sorry, but I'm never going to change. You don't have to raise your hand, because I know you would never talk like that. But have you ever wanted to say something like that? That's just the way I am. That's another way to say, I'm never going to change. How about this? Have you ever struggled with the same sin over and over and over again? And you find yourself in a conversation with God or maybe a close friend talking about it and you hear yourself say, I want to change, but I just can't. I just can't seem to change. I can't stop doing it. I can't change. Okay, well, let's just evaluate that statement for a moment. Let's just do it practically. Let's think about how often you change. Let's start with how often you change your mind about something. Okay, let me speak to the men for a second. Have you ever been asked in the middle of the day, hey, what sounds good for dinner? And at noon, you say one thing. At four o'clock, you're already thinking of another thing. And by six o'clock, when you get home, you've changed it to a third thing. You just changed your mind about what sounded good to eat. Okay, let me speak to the ladies for a minute. Ladies, how often do you change your mind about what is fashionable? I wonder if there's, if there's a husband in this room who's ever been asked, I, I really want to get these shoes. I really want these shoes. I've wanted these shoes for a really long time. These are the in shoe right now. These are the heels. This is the wedge. This is it right here. This is the one. I just want these shoes. If someone loves me, they will buy this shoe for me. And the husband says, baby, I love you. I'll buy you that shoe. That's how I talk to my wife right there. (laughs) I'll buy you that shoe. (laughs) No. I like to pretend sometimes up here. Uh, But I wonder if it's ever happened. You go buy the shoe. 45 days later, you don't see that shoe. And you wander in and you go, hey, babe, remember that conversation we had about that shoe that you couldn't live without? What what happened? Oh, no. The fashion train moved on. That's not on the train anymore. That's not fashionable. It's not in anymore. 45 days. Ladies, you change your minds constantly about what is fashionable. On the other hand, there are some men in this room who haven't changed their minds for 40 years about what's in fashion. No judgment. No judgment. None at all. But you get my point. We all change our minds consistently. Well, let's go even further. Have you ever thought about how frequently you literally change? 
Well, let me show you how frequently you literally change. You just changed. You just changed again. There you go again. Changed again. Changed again. Keep on changing. Not going to stop. Keep changing. Keep changing. You're still changing. At the very least, you change every second. You get older every second. You do not stay the same from one second to the next. Here's another way to say it. Man changes as often as the clock does. Now, for some newlyweds, some young men in this room, they just got liberation because they, my wife makes sense to me now. We change frequently. And that should be good news for somebody in this room who is struggling, repeating the same sin over and over, going, I can't change. Yes, you can. Because you just did. You just did again. You just did again. Every second you change. And as believers, the Bible says that we change. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person or changed into a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. As a believer, we change. As humans, we constantly change. So let's evaluate. Is the following statement true or false? I, you, cannot change. A little more confidence. It's not a trick question. False. False. Not only can you change, you do change without any control. You change constantly. We all do. But many of us struggle to understand the unchangeableness of God simply because of how frequently we ourselves change. And so we look at the grace of God and his unchangeableness and the unchangeableness of God's grace through the lens of our very own changing. And it causes confusion. Okay, let's move to the second statement that we're going to evaluate. Point number two, God cannot change. God cannot change. Now, we're not going to spend much time here because Scripture makes it abundantly clear whether this is true or false. Let me just read you a couple of passages. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29. And he who is the glory, capital G of Israel, speaking of God, will not lie, nor will he change his mind. For he is not human that he should change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. Scripture goes even further. Okay, remember we started talking about how you change with how you change your mind. With God, God doesn't change his mind. But it goes further. James 1.17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He, God, never changes or cast a shifting shadow. That cast a shifting shadow paints a picture. Uh, God does not have this rule today and then go, whoop, surprise, change the rules. Totally different God today. He never changes. He doesn't even cast a shifting shadow. As scripture says of Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Never changes. But some of us, the way we kind of process the Bible, sometimes we say, I need to see it in red letters. I need to see it in direct quotes from God, forgetting that the whole Bible is God-breathed. I need to see it in red letters, or I need to see a direct quote from God. Okay, well, God just so happens to speak into this matter 
whether he changes or not. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. God says, I am the Lord. Yep, you're talking about me. I'm the Lord. I do not change. That's it. I don't change. I do not change. I am unchangeable. Think practically about what this means. God doesn't change locations. Why? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Doesn't change his location. God doesn't do growth spurts. He doesn't change his size. Why? He has all power. He's not, he's not going to grow in strength. He's already got all power. How about this? When we talk about God changing his mind, God, God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't think new thoughts. You'll never find God walking down the streets of heaven going, you know what I just thought of that I've never thought of before? Because God doesn't think new thoughts. He has all knowledge. He does not change. Okay? So, I know it's a formality, but let's evaluate the second statement. God cannot change. Is that true or false? It's true. Okay? Now, some of you, the smart ones, might be going, well, Preston, you said this message is about the unchangeableness of God. And in 15 minutes, we've already proved in Scripture that God doesn't change. Let's get out of here. God doesn't change. We get it. Let's go. Okay, well, it gets even better than that. It isn't just that God does not change and cannot change. There are some things related to God that cannot change. And if you can grasp them, you will get a revelation of God's grace in a way you never have before. All right? So let's evaluate the third statement. God's promise and oath cannot change. God's promise and oath cannot change. Now, we already read in Hebrews 6. These two immutable things. And right before that, God's promise and his oath in which God cannot lie. These two unchangeable, immutable things. So we don't even need to go through the formality. Scripture says clearly, God's promise and oath cannot change. Not just do not change, they cannot change. There's a big difference between do not and cannot. Because if, if it... If, they do change, then you could do something that would cause them to change. But because they cannot change, you can't do something to change them. Let that sink in for a second. God's promise and oath cannot change. So since we proved that in Hebrews 6 so quickly, let's, let's talk about, since we're already on this topic of unchangeable things, let's talk about a couple of things that also do not change. Here's the first one. Jesus is our high priest forever. Jesus is our high priest forever. Flip over maybe a page or so or look down. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Verse 17, for he testifies, you are a priest forever, speaking of Jesus, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. 
And we're going to talk about perfectionism later on in this series. Perfectionism is just another word for legalism. The law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Verse 23. Also, there were many priests, speaking of the high priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. There were many high priests, one at a time, but one would die, they would need another one. That high priest would serve, helping sacrifice for the sins of the people, then that high priest would die, they need another one. Then that one would die, they need another one. That's what it's talking about. Verse 24, but he, Jesus, because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. A priesthood that's never going to change. That means he's our high priest forever. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Okay. In the last message, I asked the question, can a righteous person do unrighteous deeds? Yes. Don't convince yourself otherwise. Okay. I'm righteous. I cannot do unrighteous deeds. Uh, you, just, you just did an unrighteous deed right there. Okay, it's called pride, all right? A righteous person can do unrighteous deeds and does do them. Okay, L- let's, let's think of it this way. Take a righteous person on their best day doing their best works. A righteous person doing righteous deeds. On that day, according to Scripture, who is their high priest? Jesus, okay? And many of us don't have a problem believing that on our good days, on our best days, Jesus is our high priest. Okay, let's flip the coin. A righteous person on their worst day, in their worst moments, doing their ugliest things, according to Scripture, what we just read in Hebrews 6 and 7, who is that believer's high priest? Jesus. On good days, on bad days, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus doesn't back up in your low points, in your bad moments and say, you know what, I was willing to be your high priest when things were going well, but that sin you just, that that is ugly. In fact, it's downright embarrassing what you just did. I need to separate myself from you. I can't be your high priest anymore. I'm out. I'm too ashamed of your sin. Listen, Some people actually think that, that God is only close, that Jesus is only close, that the Holy Spirit is only close when we're doing the right things. We forget about some of the best times to be with God are in the low moments. Jesus is our high priest forever. And I want to show you in Hebrews 10 just how good our high priest is at being a high priest. The kids these days would would use the word, he's gangster. Doesn't even sound right coming out of my mouth. (laughs) Jesus is a really good high priest. He's a perfect high priest. Let me show you just how much better Jesus is as our high priest than under the old system the other high priests were. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you some questions all throughout this passage to help it sink in just how amazing our high priest is compared to the old high priest under the old system, all right? 
Hebrews 10, verse 11. And every priest stands. Do they stand or do they sit? Stands ministering daily. Daily or occasionally? Daily and offering repeatedly. Repeatedly or sometimes? Repeatedly the same. Same or different? The same sacrifices which can never, never or sometimes Never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, capital M, after he had offered one sacrifice, one or many, one sacrifice for sins forever, forever or just for a while, forever sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, let's process this for a minute. Under the old system, the high priest stood offering sacrifices repeatedly daily. The same sacrifices over and over and over again. Okay, They stood offering sacrifices daily, repeatedly. Okay, Why did they, why did they do it standing? Well, let me paint a, a, a simple picture for you. High priest would be making sacrifice for the sins of, on the table, and just as the awesome high priest would go to sit down and take a drink and just take a load off for a minute, in you walk with your head down going, I did it again. I, it's the really bad one. Uh, uh, sorry, can you come? I, I need you to take care of my sin. They never got to sit down. Why? Because their work was never done. So the bigger question is, why did Jesus, after only one sacrifice, Sit down. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus made such a great sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, that his first sacrifice was his last sacrifice. So that after he made the sacrifice, instead of being like the old priest who'd have to keep standing up, doing it over and over again, because Christ's sacrifice was perfect, Jesus sat down. Why? Because it is finished. It's finished. Jesus doesn't need to re-die. He doesn't need to die again for your sin. Now, I know many of you, when you read Scripture, you don't see the swagger of God in the Bible. I see it on every page. I'm not suggesting that God walks up and down the streets of heaven like this. But I am saying inwardly, I may mean, read Colossians. God publicly humiliated the devil at the cross that day. That's what the Bible says. God publicly humiliated Satan. That's some swagger, people. That's what victory looks and sounds like. Jesus, exercising a little bit of swagger, in my opinion, doesn't make the sacrifice and go stand at the right hand of the Father. Jesus says, well, that's what they always did was stood. I'm done. It's finished. I'm sitting down. It's finished. It's over. Once and for all, because his sacrifice was perfect. Jesus is our high priest forever, good days and bad. High points, low moments. Jesus is our high priest forever, not going to change. Here's the second thing that cannot change, and it's never going to change. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. 
Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry. What is this more excellent ministry? Inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Okay, let me ask a fairly obvious question. What makes the new covenant better than the old? Many would say Jesus, and that's right. But there's so much more to it than that. Jesus isn't the only reason the new covenant is better than the old. Let me just give you a few really good reasons the new covenant is better than the old, and we should be grateful for the new covenant. Under the old covenant, the Bible says that the blood of goats and bulls, and we're about to read this in Hebrews 9, that the blood of goats and bulls covers sins. Okay? Now that sounds great. If you just go make a sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats covers my sin. Well, well, let's just think about this for a minute. Have you ever covered something up that you were ashamed of? Did you, did you sleep very well while it was being covered up? Of course you didn't. Were you a little stressed? Yeah. What were you afraid of? Being uncovered. When we cover up something that we're ashamed of, we live in the fear of being exposed or uncovered. And if you understand that fear, then you understand the horror of living under the first covenant. Because the Bible says all the blood of goats and bulls could do was cover sins. But under the new covenant, we're about to read it, the blood of Jesus cleanses sin, which literally means takes away. Under the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats covers sin. Under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus takes away all of your sin. You don't have to hold on to it. You don't have to cover it up. Jesus cleanses you of your sins. He takes them away. Let me give you another reason the new covenant is better than the old. Jesus, the blood of Jesus, doesn't just cleanse our sin. It also cleanses our conscience. The blood of Jesus cleanses our guilty consciences. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9 says, this is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. In other words, it covers, but it doesn't do anything about their conscience. They still feel guilty, and you're going to see why. Verse 11, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he, Jesus, entered the most holy place once for all time, and here's my favorite part, and secured our redemption forever. Oh my word, are you joking me at how you just responded at that? Did you just want him to secure it temporarily? Are you not somewhat excited about the fact that Jesus secured by his own blood your redemption forever? Oh my goodness. Okay, no problem. It's just God's grace, no big deal. 
No big deal. Cardinals scoring a touchdown is way more exciting. Come on. He secured your redemption forever. Unchangeably so. I think if you got a revelation of that, it would change your life. Verse 13, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Chapter 10, verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices under the old system actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now I want you to think about what we just read in Hebrews 9 and 10. That the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience so that we can worship the living God. Have you ever watched someone who was looking for something and you heard them say, I know it's going to be in the last place I look. Have you ever thought about how dumb that statement is? Well, of course it's going to be in the last place you look. Nobody keeps looking after they find something. Except believers. I watch it every weekend in every service. I watch some believers come into the presence of God and they can't engage with him. They can't connect with him because they messed up this week. They're ashamed of what they did this week. And they're not sure how God feels about them because of what they did this week. So instead of connecting with the holy God, they spend the entire service wrestling with themselves about what they did because they're not sure God accepts them. He's too frustrated. He's too mad about what I did. So they spend the whole time in worship looking for something they already have. I get it. You don't deserve it. Neither do I. You couldn't earn it. Neither can I. That's the grace of God. And I know it seems too good to be true. It's not. It's just that good. It's just that good. And I could feel it last night in the service and I felt it in the nine o'clock. I know I'm pushing up against some bad theology that some of you have believed for decades. The grace of God messes with your clean theology. And here's why. Because before the blood of Jesus, we were unclean. We needed to be made clean. 
knowing full well we would still mess up. We would still sin. The blood of Jesus cleansed us from all unrighteousness and gave us right standing with the Father. So if you're a believer in Jesus and you come into God's presence and you struggle to connect because you're still so bothered and ashamed by what you did, can I just give you a piece of advice? Stop looking for something he's already given you. He's cleansed your conscience with his blood. He took away your sins. You don't need to keep replaying them, beating up on yourself. Jesus died to take away your sins and to cleanse your conscience. Now, I want to help you understand fully the old covenant and the new, okay? Because we've been talking about Genesis 12, and we've referred to the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant. So let me help you understand what went down. Under the first covenant, here's what happened. God comes to the people of Israel, and he says, I want to make a covenant with you. And in a covenant, I have a part, and you have a part. Here's my part in this covenant. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be your provider. I'm going to watch over you. I am going to be your protector. I'm going to lead you because I'm going to be your God. Under this covenant, I'm going to be your God, and these are my responsibilities. That's my part. Now in this covenant, here's your part. This is the law. And your part in this covenant is to carry it out completely. And the people of Israel were so excited about the first part of the covenant, God's part, in which God says, hey, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to take care of you, provide for you, I'm going to watch over you, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to be your God. They got so excited about his part, they didn't even process the responsibility that came with their part. So they just said, oh, we're in. We're in. Where do we sign? The Bible says that day, they didn't even make it a day, they broke the covenant. Here's the new covenant. And I'll just use me as an example. Because this is what took place for you as a believer in Jesus. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, this can happen for you. But I'll use me as an example. Under the new covenant, God comes to me. He says, Preston, I want to make a covenant with you. And under a covenant, I have a part and you have a part. Here's my part. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to personally protect you. I'm going to lead you and guide you. I'm going to be your God. That is my part in this covenant. Now here's your part, Preston. This is the law. And your part is to carry it out completely. 
and as though God could see the look on my face as I process that I will shatter the time of the Israelites in breaking the covenant, that I will mess things up in a heartbeat. He can see the look on my face and the thoughts and intents of my heart. And while I'm trying to process that I'm not going to be able to live up to my side of the covenant, God says, Jesus, come, come over here. Jesus, this is Preston. I know you know. Preston, this is Jesus, my son. Jesus, I have been telling Preston I would like to make a covenant with him. And I explained to him my part. And I just explained to him his part. And I could see he has already figured out he can't live up to his part of the deal. So Jesus, would you go to earth in the form of a human? Will you live a perfect life fulfilling the entire law and die a perfect death in Preston's place? And Jesus said, I will. And God looked at Preston and said, Preston, do you believe? Do you believe that my son went to earth in the form of a human, lived a perfect life, knowing no sin, died a perfect death in your place? Do you believe? Do you believe that after three days, he was raised to new life? And Preston said, I believe. Oh God, I believe. I believe because I figured out I, I can't do my part. You, you're asking Jesus to step in and do my part under this new covenant? I'm in. I believe. I believe Jesus lived a perfect life. I believe Jesus died a perfect death. I believe Jesus was raised to new life. Have you? The beauty of the new covenant is God sent Jesus to do your part. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and that's never going to change. You don't have to mediate relationship with God. Jesus does that for you. Now, in the last message, I ended the message illustrating Genesis 12 and what God did with Abraham. I want to read you in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, so that you hear it and you see it in your own Bible. In the same way, referring to what God did with Abraham in Genesis 12, in the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. Okay, now, who are the heirs of the promise? Now listen, I love Israel. As a church, we love Israel. We love Israel. And many would say, well, the children of Abraham are the heirs of the promise. Galatians 3 verse 29 says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. Here's why that's important to understand. Now you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And here's how it went down. I didn't tell you everything in the last message. 
And everybody got all excited. And it was really good what God did with Abraham. But Hebrews 6 takes it a step further. and helps us understand completely what God did with Abraham that he does with us. I told you in the last message that God comes to you and says, I've come to you today for one reason. Only one reason. I didn't come to frustrate you. I didn't come to anger you. I didn't come to embarrass you. I didn't come to call you out. I came for one reason. That one reason I came was to bless you. I've come to bless you, not to curse you, not to judge you. I've come to bless you, I promise. That's what we talked about in the last message. But Hebrews 6 says, God took it even further than a promise. And it is this that anchors, it serves as an anchor for our souls. It is unchangeable because in it, God cannot lie and he cannot change. God didn't just promise you, I've come to bless you. Here's what happened. According to Hebrews 6, God comes to you and he says, uh, listen, I understand it's customary for a person when taking an oath to swear by the highest name they can find. And so many put their hand in the Bible and say, so help me God. I cannot find a higher name than mine. So if it's all right with you, this promise I am making with you, I take a step further and I bind myself to an oath. I make an oath and I swear by my own name. Think what that really means. That God comes to you and he says, I came to you for one reason and one reason only. I came to bless you. Some of us don't believe it. Seems too good to be true. Surely the God of the universe has got to be mad at me. I came for one reason to bless you, not to condemn you, not to curse you, not to judge you. I promise you, but he didn't stop there. Hebrews 6 says that God says, I swear it to you by my own name in which I cannot lie and I cannot change. In other words, no matter what you do, I cannot lie about this and I cannot change it. I swear to you that the reason I came to you was to bless you. I swear it to you. By my own name, the highest name there is, I swear to you. I didn't come to judge you or condemn you. You can bank on it. It's not just a promise. It's a promise and an oath in which God cannot lie and cannot change. I swear it to you, God says. you and I could understand the length to which God went to settle this in our hearts. He did it with an oath that Hebrews 6 says, which for man ends all dispute. You may be going back and forth about the grace of God and it's dependent upon whether you're doing good things or bad things. God's gracious when I'm doing good, but he's not when I'm doing bad. The Bible says a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Yeah, the reason you feel a little bit crazy, a little bit frantic, is you keep wavering between God's goodness, his grace, and God's changeableness, which there is no changeableness. God is unchangeable. And he came today to settle it in your heart. 
no matter what you think about you, God's grace is not about what you think about you. God's grace is about what God thinks about you, how God feels about you. And the God of the universe comes to you and says, oh, I love you so much. Mm, I can't get enough of you. But God, I just did something really stupid. I know. Oh, but I love you so much. I sent Jesus not just to cover that, but to take it away from you. Yeah, I want you to do better. I want you to try. I don't want you just to do bad things. But I don't define you by your bad things. I sent Jesus to change the record. I came to bless you. Oh, because I love you so much. That's just not something I'm saying to you. The God of the universe isn't just saying, oh, I love you so much. He goes further. He says, I promise to take care of you. I promise to be your God. I promise I came to bless you. I swear it to you. I swear it to you. You can end all disputes. This ends the conversation of am I gracious or not? I am. I forever will be. I swear it to you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.